Hello, welcome again. If you're new here, thank you for passing by. And if you like any of these episodes, you're welcome to stay too. Again, my name is Persid. I am Randis. And if you have ever heard about my country, Rwanda, you probably know this is commemoration week. And when we talk about Rwanda, most of the times people we think of 1994 genocide against Tutsi were in a span or a period of 100 days more than a million Tutsis were massacred. And today's episode is a book review, which is a testimonial written by Scholastic Mukasonga, who is also one of the survivors of the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi. She's an author of lots of other books, including Our Lady of the Nile, Cockroaches, Kivogo, and lots of others. And the best of it all is that they are translated in 25 languages. This book, The Barefoot Woman, was originally written in French and it was called La Femme au Pied Nu, but it was later translated in English by Jordan Stamp and released in 2K18. Why and how did I find this book? I knew Mukasonga as an author, but I never knew I would read this book as her first book among the others. I heard people talk about it. They mentioned that it was written to pay tribute to her mother, who was also a victim of the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi. And I loved it for her. I would recommend this book because it's a great beginning for somebody who knows little to nothing about Rwanda, especially from a cultural point of view. It has 92 pages, so it doesn't take long to finish it. This book explains a typical lifestyle of Rwandan families who were deported and living in exile in Nyamata, which is in the eastern part of Rwanda. It's still called Nyamata today. And they were moved because they were Tutsis. So it tells the story of Mukasonga and her neighbors deprived of their childhood freedom and happiness because they were Tutsi. So the barefoot woman is a metaphor that Scholastic used to portray the hardworking woman that was her mother, Stefania. I hope I pronounced the name well. And the barefoot as an, in, as an English word, it means somebody who is wearing nothing on her feet. And if you add the word woman, the barefoot woman, this is a word that was culturally valued and respected because that meant that woman was always looking out for her family, um, spent days in fields, growing, planting crops, farming, just as Stefania did. And not just for her family, she was a woman who always looked after her children, but she was an active member she was a mother to the whole neighborhood if i may say and we'll see that um in some of the stories mukasonga shared through this book again as i say stefania mukasonga's mother loved to be on her field during the day but she also sounded like someone who was planning for a voyage there are some words that i'm going to read which she always, she usually told her three daughters, Mukasonga included. I'm going to read them. Uh, she used to say, when I die, when you see me lying dead before you, you have to cover my body. No one must see me. A mother's dead body is not to be seen. You have to cover me, my daughters. That's your job and no one else's. 
no one must see a mother's corpse. And corpse means cor in French or body. In Mukasonga, as she wrote, she's responding to what her mother used to tell them. And I'll read directly from the book. She says, Mama, I wasn't there to cover your body. And all I have left is words. Words in a language you didn't understand. To do as you asked. And I'm all alone with my feeble words. And on the pages of my notebook, over and over, my sentences weave a shroud for your missing body. Into the book, she explains how they were moved to Nyamata, a place that was not favorable for people to live in because it was dry, very hot, very hard to find water, but out of solidarity and courage as a neighborhood, they all survived. And soldiers of the new independent government, I think this was around 1960s um, in Rwanda, they were uh, from Gako military camp. They would always remind Tutsis that they weren't human beings, calling them cockroaches, snakes, and lots of other dehumanizing terms, emphasizing that it was only right to exterminate them. Well, imagine hearing this as a young lady. I again thank Mukasonga for gathering enough strength to share this masterpiece, her story with Rwandans and the rest of the world. And again, we see Stefania's sole goal to save her children. Of course, soldiers would burst into their house from time to time, but their mother was always alert. Mukasonga says her mother had developed the sixth sense because she could hear them from afar and tell the kids to hide quickly. She had created hiding places in and out of her house for her kids. And Stefania searched for ways to help her kids escape to Burundi. And she would, in some afternoons, go off into the bush, stretching marks to show her kids how they could escape, showing them the path to follow to get them to the border. She would also look for signs which had prophetic significance to understand if they could help them escape in any way. She knew all the plants which brought good fortune. She distributed them into some places within her house for protection and she would also dip them into water and sprinkled some drops around her family's yard and field she also taught her children to practice survival tactics in the places she had shown them um i must say this is very sad because imagine as a young lady as a young boy because mukasanga had also siblings being told always to keep your eyes open to keep your ears um, alert to hear if somebody is coming to torture to kill you but again we see stefania who was always up early in the morning because it was shameful for sunrise to find a mother still in bed and we see her in her field again her family grew sorghum which was a very respected crop because it was never right to mix it with other plants in the field. And lots of people grew it because it was a sign of fertility and abundance. And kids also saw sorghum as a sign of treats and games. Um, and there were two types, so the white one for porridge and the red one for beer. And it was a whole ceremony from farming to harvesting to eating. And there is one particular day that I, I would like to share with you, which is called Omoganura. 
and it was celebrated as a festival uh, within families. This was a private celebration between ma a mother, a father, and their kids before the harvest in July. So what was the day about? So sorghum, I think I'm going into too much details, but it's very um, essential to understand how this was a collective action because when the heads of the sorghum had already formed but with wet grains they would send one child and how was the child chosen this was a child in a family who didn't show any physical defect so they could go in the field and take the heads and bring them for sorghum paste which was to be eaten on that day. And Mukasonga, the author of this book, did it for her family. And they could share the sorghum pest on Muganura and after dance and have the family time. And as I just said, I loved how this was a collective work because it was also up to fathers to go back to the fields when sorghum was ready to be harvested and children would also miss school because of sorghum stocks what we usually call imisigati in kinyawanda because children especially enjoyed imisigati or the sorghum stocks and again we see stefania who cooked porridge for andre and alexia those were mokasanga siblings because they were usually at school and she didn't want them to go back to school thinner than they came because that was, I think, a disgrace. And she also made beer from sorghum, which only took one day and one night. So sorghum beer is manufactured naturally and traditionally in just one day and one night. I loved how natural everything was and the process of recycling the stocks or emisigati left in the farms. They were taken back to farms to protect, I mean dry stocks, to protect sweet potatoes from being eaten by monkeys. And for mothers who went to fields with their babies on their backs, they also used the sorghum stocks um, to shelter their kids against the sun or snakes or birds. This was a traditional cradle, cradle that we have today. It's it's not uh, it's not made of sorghum stocks but this is how they made their cradle for their babies and kids could also take the dry sorghum stocks and we see stefania again planting traditional medications and every time people were going into our field she would tell them please don't remove this and that because i will use that as medicines potatoes were used as medication which were the first things to plant after building a new house since families struggled so much because they could no longer get milk from cows and milk is something that is essential for good health for these families where they used to live before but when they moved to Nyamata, all their cows had been killed. And a cow in the Rwandan culture meant a lot of things. For friendships, they used cows. For dairy, they used cows. And on Sunday evenings, it was a beauty time with Itimuri, which is cow's milk butter. It's very good for the skin, but they couldn't easily find it in exile. And this was the most painful reminder of their time in exile. 
again if we were to go back to the reason they were moved to Yamata is because they were Tutsi uh, which is a sad story again one thing that I loved about this book is that it's not written in a chronological order. Mukasonga tried to take us through lots of different practices, lots of things, and lots of roles played by her mother and in their neighborhood. So we see Mukasonga's mother as a matchmaker when it came to weddings within her neighborhood. And she was the one who was checking or who was setting, if I may say, with other women, the beauty standards. But I will not talk about them right now. I'll just leave it so that people um, can go and find the book. But just to say, ladies were judged one by one, especially those who were about, who had that age, ready to get married. Their hairstyles depended on what age but amasunzu was for ladies who were in the years of getting married and again we see in this book felicity who brought as the first person in her neighborhood having the latrine and one of the things that is shocking that happened in 1994 is stated um by the author again where she says everybody and started imitating Felicite without the knowledge that they were digging their own graves. And in 1994, lots of Tutsis were thrown in latrines. And again, while I was reading this book, I realized everything was natural, everything was traditional. But I asked myself, where did people find their Christian names, which were French names? This is also stated in the book that... For those who didn't have Christian names, they're not allowed to go to school. And again, we see um, mothers, especially Stefania, used to sensitize, to encourage people, to encourage parents to bring their kids at school. Usually, again, we see um, Kasonga's family on different evenings. After eating, they will sit down for stories, um, but there are sad stories or other stories which were toxic from Mazungos. They claimed to know who they classified as Tutsis and they backed that up with some stories from the Bible. They had made up stories of how Tutsis are connected to pharaohs, how they moved from Ethiopia then to Rwanda. Again, in this neighborhood, which was called Vitagata in Nyamata, Mukasonga's neighborhood. Fetching water was a big problem to people in the village, especially women, because they were afraid they could not come back because they weren't safe. As I said, there was Gako camp where the soldiers of the government were staying and just it wasn't safe for a woman to go alone. And again, towards the end of the book, we see a lady named Vivian who was once sent to fetch water and came back raped. Again, this is a circle of events which eventually led to the genocide. This, I think these, all these events happened during 1960s when Mukasonga was growing up, but it later gave birth to the 1994 genocide against the Tusi. So these are not just made up stories or events, it was real. And also at the end, Mukasonga talks about a nightmare she has had for some time. And I think this was after 1994. Um, it's about the church and the kids getting flowers for Sundays. But this same place is where lots of Tutsi were killed within churches. 
by the Inherahamwe. And was her mother there too? Do you remember the words her mother used to tell them related to covering her body? I think I enjoyed this book. It explains Okasonga's lifestyle and I loved lots of detail. And as I kept reading, I could relate so much because there are so many culture elements like kids eating sorghum stalks in Isigati. I think I did that too when I was young, but while hiding because it was embraced in Mukasonga's time, 1960s. But for us, parents said Imsigati or the sorghum stalks. This time, I think we didn't use sorghum stalks. We used corn stalks. But our parents say that they were not clean and so they could cause diseases. I also realized that we're losing lots in our culture or there's so many things which are no longer existing because she also talks about um, visiting newborn babies in her neighborhood, which I think is no longer that much existent in villages or in neighborhoods. The spirit of doing things together as a neighborhood, sharing and looking after each other. People are now busy working. So this is a book that I learned a lot from. As I said, how did people come to have French names? I got this from this book. Um, how they celebrated their new year in July. I also loved how people were creative in a very natural way when it came to preservation of their harvests, medications, and lots of other things. And for me, it's also a mother's long struggle, a journey that Stefania went through with her family in exile just because of who she was, a Tutsi. Stefania is indeed a barefoot woman who was vigilant over her kids, generous no matter what in her country or the authorities by that time had thrown at her. And as I end, I dedicate this book to mothers who have lost their kids during the 1994 genocide against Tutsi, kids who have lost their mothers or parents, and all the survivors in general. Those who are able to share their stories, those who aren't, Let's continue to remember, unite, and renew. Bye-bye, and I'll see you in the next episode.